Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Mr. Alan Adamson, an accomplished author, expert in building brands and CEO of Brand Simple Consulting to discuss a very interesting subject. How do you keep your business relevant in a fast changing world and a disruptive environment? Alan is a noted industry expert in all disciplines of branding and marketing. He has worked with a broad spectrum of consumer and corporate brands in industries ranging from packaged goods and the technology to healthcare and financial services to hospitality and entertainment as well as brands in the non-profit sector. He specializes in helping businesses to put into play practical strategies that generate long-term business value and increased brand equity. Alan was most recently chairman North America of Landor Associates, a global brand consulting and design firm, where he was responsible for operations and overseeing branding efforts. Under his leadership, the company partnered with a wide array of iconic brands, which include Accenture, GE, Johnson & Johnson, FedEx, HBO, Marriott, MetLife, and Verizon. Additionally, uh, very important to mention, he provided guidance for non-profit organizations, including the 9-11 Memorial and Museum, the Central Park Conservancy, the Council on Foreign Relations, and Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Alan is also an author. He has three books to his credit. The first one, The Edge. 50 Tips from Brands That Lead. Second, Brand Digital. Third, Brand Simple. His books are used in universities across the country. He also writes a monthly column for Forbes.com about the impact of general business and cultural trends on branding, specifically how brands can break through in a world of communication overload, which we are all going through nowadays. He's a sought-after industry commentator. Alan has appeared on NBC's Today Show, CNBC's Quack Box, and Closing Bell, and also on Fox Business Network. He's often quoted in publications that include the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Advertising Age, USA Today, the Washington Post, and Forbes. He's a frequent guest lecturer at New York University's Stern School of Business, the Samuel Curtis Johnson Graduate School of Management at Cornell University, and the Harvard School of Continuing Education. He's a member of the American Management Association and speaks on branding for a range of professional organizations, corporate events, and at industry conferences. Alan received his BS from SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University and an MBA from New York University Stern School of Business. Welcome, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Um, Alan, I find your recent book, Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World, 
very fascinating. It's very interesting, especially in the current times when you're getting news about many companies, what's happening with them, as we all heard about what's happening with GE last week. We'll discuss later in the show. Um, in many of my prior shows, we had several discussions around the quantum and speed of change occurring all around us. It is happening in our lifestyle as well as businesses and environment. The new technological innovations and business models are threatening the existing stable players. These players were very strong and nobody thought anybody can challenge them. As you have very correctly pointed out in your book that one must be very, very careful in continuously scanning the environment. You must be looking at horizons all the time. Must keep an eye on where the disruption is coming from. In the recent past, several new successful companies have come up at the expense of existing stable and proven businesses. Let's look at the change in situation in 21st century itself. In 2001, the largest five companies by market cap were GE, Microsoft, Exxon, Citi, and Walmart. And if you look at it, only one tech company in it. And now we fast forward and we look at 2016. What happened? All five were tech companies, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook. If you look at these companies, they did not exist when the other fives were literally ruling the world. Some of them were more than 100 years old. Uh, similarly, the business model disruptions which are coming up, they're displacing the market leaders of the past. And I'll try to bucket it here. Let's look at the business. Who was a successful player in industrial era? And who is the information era startup in digital age who has replaced it? So for example, photography from industrial era Kodak replaced by Instagram for books, portal books got replaced by Amazon, music, now Tower Records is replaced by Apple or Spotify. Let's look at even travel. It used to be hotel chains, now Airbnb. About transportation, we all used to look for taxis. That was the industrial era thing. Now it's Uber or Lyft. How about human resources? It used to be resumes and recruiters. Now it's LinkedIn. How about information consumption? We had newspapers, we had magazines. Now it's all about social media. And coming back to very basic, shopping. It used to be retail stores. It's now all e-commerce. We order sitting at home. What is noticeable that the new market leaders do not have or own the product most of the times? It is how they have created business models to take out the past market leaders who are not able to foresee the upcoming changes and to adapt to it. In your book, Shift Ahead, you have come out with something which I personally feel is the help which almost every business needs today and they need to think through it. Basically what you recommended. Your book provides a practical guide to continually stay ahead and relevant in a fast changing world. And my question to you Alan is to start our show today is why it is so hard for people to ch change? 
what are the challenges? What are the barriers? Why don't people change when they're so big, they're so successful, and they have the right opportunity? Yeah, and that's where we started uh, when we began the research for our book, which was more and more uh, clients were coming up and saying, you know, our sales are dropping, our market share is down, you know, our competition is eating my lunch, our lunch has gone away, can you help? And it quickly became clear that this was happening not only in traditional industries, but in nonprofits and uh, all sorts of industries. So we spoke to lots and lots of organizations and the barriers, the reasons, everyone knows you don't have to go to Harvard Business School uh, or any other business school to know that just to be successful in business, you have to be relevant to your customer and that the customer needs change and you have to pay attention. Well, so while the theory is incredibly easy, the execution is hard and there's some barriers and gravitational forces uh, that uh, to keep you uh, stuck uh, being your father's Oldsmobile, to use an old ad phrase. And so, you know, if I had come to you five years ago and said, you know, would you, would you be interested in investing in a business, you know, that's based on riding in a stranger's car or staying in strangers' homes, you, you probably wouldn't have been too quick to write a check out to me if you were uh, uh, in the uh, transportation business or the uh, hospitality business. But, of course, now, as you said in the intro, <laughs> uh, that business premise, you'd be very you'd be very keen to invest in that of course you'd be too late Maybe. so you know so what what you know what what happens and the first thing that we found is not surprising I'm not, you know i call it uh, you know there was an old tv show in the u.s called uh, fraser uh, and there was right. uh, his father lived with him and and marty crane had his chair and his old chair was in the middle of that apartment because they're familiar is comfortable people like what they know and they do what they're comfortable with. And so overall, I think most companies, even though they know intellectually they need to change, they're stuck in their Marty Crane's chair. They're stuck in the past because that's comfortable. That's what they know. And to, to some extent, the first important rule is realize that you're being held down by gravity. <laughs> you're you're going to gravitate. If, if we Correct. show two products to somebody, people always in research choose a product they know versus a product they don't know, even if the product they don't know is better often. So start off with the headset that, you know, your natural resting state is yesterday. Um, the other thing we found is that many, many companies across the board, big companies, small companies, nonprofits, profits. Um, if you, uh, if some of your listeners still drive cars and are not having their uh, phone do that for them, you know, you know, they, you know, they sort of know that to drive a car, you have to step on the accelerator and a brake occasionally, and you have to steer. But more and more, the car is even finding its way down the street for you. But if you go back to when uh, I was growing up, there was something called a standard shift car. Right, I have done that. <laughs> yeah, a manual transmission. And when you drove a manual transmission, I'll explain to some of your younger listeners. You know, you had to pay attention to the the engine. You have to make sure you were in the right gear. You needed different gears for different terrains. If you're going uphill, you had to downshift. If you're going fast, you had to go to a higher gear. And you really had to pay attention to the terrain, your engine, if you would, your employees. Um, uh, but today, most of the time you're driving, you're on cruise control. And most companies today have a cruise control attitude. Everything's good. Let's keep on going. You know, we're on autopilot. And the combination of that left-right punch, <laughs> the familiar is uh, comfortable, and cruise control, you know, steps most companies deep in their deep in the deep in the deep in the rut when it comes time to needing to change. You know, another thing we found out, and this was pretty prevalent, and that happened to me when I was in brand management at Unilever, and I, I categorize it as you know, too many 
companies are playing tennis and not golf. You know, what do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. It, when, um, um, when I play tennis badly, you know, I sort of try to hit the ball. I watch where my opponent is, and I try to hit the ball if I can to the other side uh, because it's all about not how well I hit it, but hitting it, reacting to what my competition is doing. When I'm playing golf, even worse, you know, I'm not paying that much attention to the people I'm playing golf with other than to chat with them. When I'm, when I'm hitting the ball, I'm really focused on the ball, the terrain, the wind. And so that happens in business a lot. When I was at Unilever, we spent forever, you know, doing some research and market research and getting close enough, but lots of time was spent, uh, well, did you see what P&G did yesterday? I wonder if we should do what Colgate's doing. Too much time was spent playing attention to the competition, assuming they knew what they're doing, but versus playing, you know, intense, attention to the details because in golf just like in in the world of shifting you're they're not going to the marketplace is not going to put up a sign and say you know why don't you start a business where you can rent out people's couches <laughs> you know you're going to have to see subtle changes and pay close attention to how consumers and your customers are changing because they're not going to tell you uh, and if you're not laser focused if you're only worried about what the competition is doing uh, you get into trouble that, that, yeah. That's a very good point because many times customers may not know what they need next. Exactly. I was, uh, you know, I was dropping my son at school last year in California, and uh, we got to the airport, and uh, uh, I said, well, "Let's go get the rental car." And he looked at me like I was uh, from Mars, and you know, well, why are we renting a car? I, you know, two clicks on my phone, and we'll be on uh, Lyft. True. And uh, I said, "Gee, you know, I'm just so one familiar with kind of that's the way I when I arrive in an airport, I rent a car." Uh, and then I got the customer survey from, I spent a lot of time talking to the folks at Hertz. And then I got the customer survey from Hertz. And it was all about, did I find the car clean? It was, you know, it was, it, and, and their business was trying to beat National and Avis and make, and that's an important part of their survival. They have to, you know, get a share gain versus the other rental companies. But at the end, you know, whether I rent a National or an Avis or a budget, it's probably going to be less of an issue for Hertz in five years than if I ever rent a car again. So, you know, part of it is, you know, getting, not paying so much attention to your competition that you are only trying to beat them, but zooming out, if you would, and saying, what's really going on? What other choices are these customers going to have? And I think at your opening, you talked about all those. Lots of those choices didn't, you know, Kodak didn't lose to Fuji. <laughs> uh, and, um uh, and Barnes and Noble, uh, which is another story in the book, didn't didn't lose to the little bookstore store around the corner, although they may now. Uh, so, you know, while playing against your competitions, more and more and more companies spend too much time, totally preoccupied with the competition. That is true, and and what they see in competition is close to what they have been doing because both have been doing the same thing, and and that's one of the pieces I caught in this. Uh, uh, change in the market leaders today. Most of these guys were disrupted the ma- disrupted the major industries. These are startups who are not more than twenty years old. Some of them are like yeah, they're, and they were from outside of their immediate space. Um, yes, and none of them are like some of those like uh, six sigma companies, very well organized and good processes. They started as a startup, individuals doing it, building the processes what suited right. to that business. Yep. And, and in the opening, you talked about the change in the market cap. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Wall Street and market cap has something to do with the barrier to change as well. Mm-hmm. We call it, the, you know, the golden handcuffs. And you mentioned one of those industrial companies. I had the privilege of working for Kodak, working with Kodak. I was uh, in the marketing business at that point. Uh, when, when Kodak was still king, they still owned pictures. 
uh, and they were incredibly profitable, uh, and the, the, probably came out number one, number two, number five on any global brand tracking study. You know, it, it, they they own pictures. And when you talk to the folks, um, and I spent a lot of time uh, talking to folks who were there at the time, but at the time, they began to tip. And I always had the assumption that uh, they didn't see the train coming on the track. They didn't see the fact that photography was changing and um, you know film would no longer be necessary. But in reality, I spoke to some folks in their strategic planning and research department, and years before digital started to eclipse film, they knew to the almost a month when that change would happen. They had crystal clarity that this change was coming. They knew exactly. So it wasn't a case that they were blindsided or didn't see uh, what was going on in, uh, in Cupertino or wherever else that your competition was coming from. Uh, they saw it, and they were precise in knowing when their business would be eclipsed, disrupted, and changed. And so I said, what happened? How could you... you know, and one of the things that happened is what we call the golden handcuffs. The film business was so profitable, hugely right. profitable, that anything else they did other than make film and process film was going to be dilutive. So if they took $500 million out of the film division and moved it into the digital, and they had lots of digital technology, the only thing for sure is that they wouldn't be getting a 70% margin in the digital business. And so Wall Street, you know, they were driven to deliver earnings per quarter, and if they moved money asymmetric, if they moved money out of one powerful division into a startup division, Wall Street would punish them. They couldn't make what we refer to as an asymmetrical bet, taking money from the successful business and putting it in a startup. They needed to reward their players in the film business. And so even though they saw it coming, they couldn't make the type of shift necessary to have seized that opportunity. And that literally caused the demise. That was part one, and part two is another interesting part of the story, which gets to a little bit of the advice you need. You, know, you need to respect when you think about, you know, can you shift to digital or can you shift uh, from hotel rooms to uh, sharing houses? You have to look at your what we call your DNA. What's the culture? What's your, what's your, what, you know, who are you as a company? What's your strength? Yeah. And um, there was a board meeting around this time, a very contentious one. And there was a debate at the board of Kodak. Do we do we go for digital or do we stay a chemical company? And went back and forth and they decided, no, they're going to go for digital and they're not going to be a chemical company anymore. And they sold off their chemical division, Eastman Chemical, which is today a billion-dollar company, very successful in the southeast United States. They sold off their sterling drug with makers of Bayer Aspirin and other pharmaceuticals. So they got out of the chemical business. But the reality was they were a chemical company from a DNA point of view. They, that, that's, that's who they were when you, you know, not quite go to their – you didn't have to go to their offices and you didn't see the smokestacks next to it. But culturally and from a DNA, they were a chemical company. And then when they tried to pivot to digital, they didn't have enough of the, those types of individuals and in their organization. And so it was sort of like me trying to play basketball. You know, I could really want to be a good basketball player, but at five foot eight, uh, I didn't have the DNA uh, to, to, to play basketball. And so, they, their culture, their DNA was all about being a chemical slash sales company. 
And to be successful, they needed to be a technology digital company. And, and, and so the third piece, it's never just one thing. When we looked at a lot of these companies, if it was only one thing, if they only waited, they took their time or they didn't jump fast enough, but it's usually one or two things, uh, and sometimes three or four things. Yeah, uh, it's it's never as easy as one or two. Correct. I think that's a brilliant point about Kodak, uh, and that that's an amazing point you brought out. That basically they were a chemical company. Alan, we will take a short break, and we'll continue our fascinating discussions after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. milestones do we rack up in our lives from marriage to changing jobs buying a home and starting a family we think we have our money and finances figured out but it isn't that easy learn how to plan set and achieve your financial goals by tuning into money counts unleashing your money's hidden potential with host debbie peterson it's time to take control of your personal cash flow listen every wednesday at 2 p.m eastern time and 11 a.m pacific time on the voice america business channel America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Mr. Alan Adamson, an accomplished author, expert in building brands, and CEO of Brand Simple Consulting. We are having very, very interesting discussions, how you can keep your business relevant in a fast-changing world and a disruptive environment. Alan, we were talking about barriers in our first segment. Uh, Let's continue with that. Terrific. You know, there are a couple more that we found existed quite prevalently across the more than 100 organizations we did research for. And one is something, pride goeth before a fall. And uh, we spoke to several people who were at BlackBerry when it was king of the hill, and everyone who was a mover and a shaker had a BlackBerry uh, clip to their belt. And then we, you know, talked to them, of course, after that was no longer the case. And you know, one of the comments uh, the senior people there made was that you know, they felt they became institutionally arrogant. You know, they, they, we dismissed, they told me, the, the notion of a touchscreen as silliness and nonsense. So even though it was happening and everyone could see people touching iPhones, um, they felt that, yeah, that's just, you know, if you're serious about business, you need a hard keeper. So they just, they just were arrogant 
Um, ah, and uh, that to, to some extent, yeah, that too they stuck themselves in a hole, and somebody exactly. else, everybody else moved to touchscreen. Exactly, mm-hmm. and then by the time they tried to do touchscreen, of course, you know, it was uh, too little, too late. And the other two that make diff- shifting difficult is uh, most people, if they're in companies, they they know this. There's uh, well, you know, analysis paralysis and empty pockets, and perhaps what's going on with the sad situation currently with Toys R Us is a good example. Um, you know, Toys R Us had two types of stores for those those of you who are familiar with it. Uh, one was the flagship store, which was probably most notably seen in Times Square, which was a high-end experiential place to learn about toys, experience toys, and to make purchases. And the other was, perhaps in other bigger locations, different locations, strip centers, where the toys were piled high to the ceiling where they were trying to compete on price with Walmart, Target, and, and Amazon. And so they had these two business models, and there was internal debate, once again, do we go after the high-end toy experience, or do we go after the price and try to beat, win on the price game? And because they kept on analyzing it, and both were viable, but and there was no clear winner, they got into a long period of trying to do both, debating whether both either was valuable. And by the time they decided to make a left or make a right, they had what we call empty pockets. They had run out of money. They couldn't execute the price game, and they couldn't execute the experience game anymore. So more and more often, more often than not, companies have choices in front of them, and they're stuck because lots of people, back to the DNA comment, lots of people joined you know, a company like Kodak because it was almost like joining you know, a, a nonprofit. It was so secure. People were attracted to Kodak because they felt they could have a lifetime job the company. What could ever happen to Kodak? It was usually successful year upon year. Same thing with other companies. So they attract employees that are really risk-averse. And then when they look at change, they constantly try to take the risk out. And as you alluded to in the beginning, um, entrepreneurs have a different tolerance for risk, a different need right. to tolerate. And you know that's another reason the big companies find it hard to change is because culturally they are more apt to fall into the analysis paralysis check trap, looking for this one wins 90% of the time. Usually winners and losers are 51-49 calls. It's never a, oh, my God, this is an easy decision, or always agonizing choices that need to be made. Right. You're very right on that. Yeah. Alan, uh, um if one has to make a choice, what should one focus on while driving change in his or her business? You know, I, I think, you know, to some extent you have to um, look out and see where the world is going. You know, one of the, to, to be able to say, uh, to shift, you need to stay relevant. And um, figuring out what will happen is not often that hard. If you go back to some old movies, and whether it's 2001 and, or even Star Trek episodes, a lot of the what from, even in the technology space, was pretty clear. You know, in 2001, a movie made in 1968, they were using iPads. You know, they were flying on space planes that you know, looked very much like the Virgin Galactica. You know, they, they were pretty accurate, you know, way back then. They just got the one it's just got the when wrong, <laughs> but when matters. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, part of success is to um, is to try to get both the when and the white, the when and the what working together. Um, and what is often required is to get out of the bubble, no matter how um, much 
um, uh, executives try to keep pulse with going on, they often lose what was written up in a very, very good book called The Founder's Mentality. Um, you know, if you say, where does the leader of the company sit? It's often the seat furthest away from the customer. Absolutely. And That's the number one problem I heard thousands of millions of times now. <laughs> yeah. And so, no matter what, you know, you, you have to get out of your bubble. You have to. Um, one of the great conversations we had with the folks at Marriott, who, whose culture was built, you know, um, a little bit based on Bill Marriott's belief that, you know, his feet never touched the ground, never touched the desk, rather. Mm -hmm. He was always out in the hotels. He was always out in the restaurants. He was always, you know, inspecting rooms. And, and to some extent, that sort of cultural forced externalization of their leadership has enabled them to shift ahead. Um, the other thing is, you know, the other thing to get ready to, to shift or to set the table, if you would, is to, is to, you know, respect your DNA. Uh, and if you don't have the right one, get them. And we talked to the CEO of Hasbro. And, you know, he was a real surprise. Uh, Brian Goldner was a real surprise choice for a Providence-based toy manufacturer because he was in a tiny division had for a head in, in Hollywood. He was in the movie business, which was tiny. And the fact that they took somebody from the movie business to run a toy company was unbelievably challenging for the company. But the leadership knew that they needed to bring in a different type of DNA and understanding for entertainment to redefine the toy business. And over the past six, seven years, he has dramatically done that everything from Transformers to other properties that truly weave entertainment and toys together. Uh, and so much so that yes, last week uh, Hasbro made a play, uh, an offer from Mattel, because they were able to get the right DNA into their core to be able to shift the company. Uh, Mattel is based in Los Angeles, but they were not, for many, many reasons, able to get that right DNA in their culture. That's a very good point, because if you don't have the DNA, you have a choice to get it from somewhere, right? And, and uh, that and choice it, you can yeah, make. It, it helps if it gets into the leadership, but you know you can't you can't be something you can't be something or deliver something you're not capable of doing. Mm -hmm. That's your point, um, Alan. We in in our earlier segment we did talk about a lot of barriers. How do you recommend, how can one overcome the barriers to change? Yeah, one of the things that successful organizations that are able to change is they go back to the, the, the founding principles or the, the purpose of the organization and, and really make sure they look at that with fresh eyes, as I say. Uh, you know, objectively, is our purpose still relevant? Are what we are driven towards every day still relevant? And there were a couple stories um, of companies and organizations that have shifted, and they shifted successfully because they looked at their purpose and said, gee, you know, maybe we need to make a change in that, in our mission and our purpose. And one of the more interesting stories was uh, a nonprofit by the name of Conservation International. Uh, and their founder and chairman, Peter Segelman, um, had started that organization 25 years ago trying to protect the natural environment of places that were endangered all over the world and he would do his best to fence off that endangered ecosystem and 
20 years later, he realized that fencing off that ecosystem was not working because no matter how much they fence off, you know, the society and the culture and the, and the community around it was, was pressuring it. So he said, we need to change our purpose. We need to not only protect, but we need to help the community around these areas better interact, have a more symbiotic relationship with the, with their natural resources so that the, the, we're not putting up fences. We are, we are creating a better balance. Very contentious. Lots of people on the board said, no, we're about protection. We're not about helping economically the community around this area. But he was driven that his purpose was, while Valiant 20 years ago was no longer relevant or working, and he changed the purpose of a nonprofit, which is almost never done. And he changed it to embrace both the uh, ecology and the environment, but also the community around and working with the community and the area that needed protecting in a integrated fashion, and uh, they've been quite successful. Oh, that's wonderful. Very interesting, Alan. We'll, we'll take a short break here and we'll continue our discussions after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand time compromises destructive malware major breaches you can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you your families and your data task force 7 radio with host george Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world tune in live every monday at 8 p.m eastern time 5 p.m pacific on the voice america business channel the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network Welcome back. You're listening to The Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Mr. Alan Adamson, an accomplished author, expert in building brands and CEO of Brand Simple Consulting. We are having some very fascinating discussions on very interesting topic. How you should keep your business relevant, how can you do it in a fast-changing world and a very disruptive environment. Alan, great points in first two segments. Very, very interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued by a lot of things. And I want to relate it to 
a very recent example, like last week when the GE uh, results came in, uh, uh, the news about GE, and this week we are seeing what's happening to what they always did well, did everything for stakeholders, stock market, everything. Uh, how would you relate for our listeners that they had an opportunity to change? They, what were the barriers? What happened? Yeah, it's always easy to sit in the back seat and say, I should have done, you should have turned there, or, you know, you should go faster. <laughs> yeah, but we did speak to the folks at GE for the book and, and, and others. And actually, I think what happened to, uh, you know, I, I think it was a situation that they, I'm sh- I know they, they know that uh, the need to change. I know they, they know how fast they need to change. So I don't think it was a situation of them not seeing the train even though they're making a locomotive coming down the track. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they're really in touch with the pace of change in, uh, across the category. I think it was more related to a conversation we had with another big, big uh, industrial company, P&G. And we spoke to some senior P&G executives, and they felt the change, the challenge that they were facing was that the, the leadership knew they had to make a change. And the young people coming in knew that the company needed to be uh, more agile. But they were struggling with what she called the massive middle where the middle of the organization is just not able to pivot, not able to change. Ah. And I think the same thing happened to GE to some extent. Leadership knew they needed to embrace the Internet of everything, and and technology was going to change the industrial products they made. Uh, So they moved the headquarters to Boston and began that, and and, and lots of things were happening. But, you know, GE, like P&G, probably has a massive middle, and they're more like an aircraft carrier turning around. And I suspect they will turn around and they will execute against a strategy, but it's um, uh, going to be harder to turn than a PT boat, if you would. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take some time. It may uh, you know, be very painful for many, many uh, uh, people in uh, large chunks of the organization. You know, when you compare that to how a... Um, a tech company in Silicon Valley, I had the privilege of speaking to the uh, teams at Facebook and their CMO uh, about this topic. And, the, you know, to some extent, um, companies like Facebook as well as other technology companies are, are built to change, and they're built to move fast. On the walls at Facebook, it, you know, it says, uh, you know, move fast and break things. <laughs> Done is better than perfect. And so when you talk to them there, they, they understand that they are in the business that if they're off by a week, that's you know, forgetting if we're off on a five-year plan. <laughs> if we're off by a week, we may miss the boat. So, you know, they are built to move fast. Everyone gets the purpose of the company. There is a much freer flow of information. Uh, there's less hierarchy. Uh, uh, they not only collect a lot of data. Every company says, oh, we have data. But I, I still believe that 95% are, are collecting um, Facebook does a pretty good job of acting on it. <laughs> and then the CMO told me about one other thing which I thought was a, a good way to move fast and I hadn't heard. He said when he's working on a mission-critical project, and many projects are mission-critical, but they have to move fast, he can do, I think he called it a lockdown. So he can clear his calendar of every meeting except for the meetings about getting that project done. He doesn't have to um, do any uh, Performance evaluations, he doesn't have to do any training seminars, you know, anything that's not mission critical gets, he gets a, he gets a hall pass and he can just lock his door or cubicle or go somewhere else and get it done. And, you know, that sort of focus, uh, and that ability to, you know, make that happen is part of the culture there. And it's part of the culture of a lot of Silicon Valley companies is that they grew up in a business, uh, that if you didn't, 
do it yesterday. It's too, <laughs> today is too late. Um, and they've, they've created a culture that is very agile, whereas the industrial companies grew up in a world first you had to plan to build the plant, then you had to build the plant, then you had to optimize the plant, and then they made the product and they had to sell it. And, you know, that is a important skill set for sure for many businesses, but is one that is much more linear and much more difficult to make agile. That is true. Very well said. Because as you rightly mentioned, GE was communicating. We want to become a digital company. We are no more in the old GE. So they knew where they are, where they want to go. It was just the speed of change probably and the way to change it. Because yep. maybe they had established processes the way it used to say, we are GE. So there was a GE way of getting things done. And that was true at Procter & Gamble too. They had a way of running things and that way served them well for many years. Yeah. Uh, and it still may serve them well. But oftentimes, um, you need to make those types of changes to be able to move as fast as you need to move. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm seeing a trend here in the industrial era companies used to used to talk uh, a lot about the processes and systems they had uh, they had put in place. Like GE starts Six Sigma, then they say GE way of doing things, and then. Uh, probably other businesses may have, some other companies may have, the Danaher way of doing things. They are very successful in doing it. But they may be successful in a particular product category. Uh, it may be if you're making a product. But if you get challenged, like guys like Uber challenging a car manufacturer or Tesla, it's coming from your blind spot. You don't even know it. Yeah. And, and yeah part of that goes back to the culture. There was another... Uh, person we interviewed, which was a, a professor by the name of Reader Gunther McGrath at Columbia Business School. And her book you know, and her research is about the end of competitive advantage. Lots of these companies were built in an era where you could build a better mousetrap, have a competitive advantage, and then just ride that wave for a long time. So once you had uh, the better mousetrap, you could just Use it. And that world, according to her and according to a lot of the research we saw, you know, if you have a competitive advantage and you're not in the tech business, maybe it will last a year. <laughs> if you're in the tech business, it may be last two weeks. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the whole basis for how companies go to market, which is trying to get a sustainable, a sustainable competitive advantage, there is no more sustainability in competitive advantage. You need to, you know, another great quote from uh, the Marriott folks, Bill Marriott, famous quote, success is never final. And too many companies take success as final. And if you take more of the, all right, we won yesterday, <laughs> we're winning this morning, but maybe a little bit of the Andy Grove, only the paranoid survive, um, you're, you're more apt to be able to um, uh, stay relevant and continue to shift. If you t- kick your feet back and say, Look at me, I, everyone's using Blackberries. Every mover and shaker in Washington on Wall Street has a Blackberry. Let's go, uh, let's go just keep on doing it. Uh, you can get into trouble very fast. That is true. Those, those are some uh, real issues. And uh, I think uh, we need to avoid it. And, and you mentioned it very well earlier that don't put if I combine the two of statements, you give two brilliant nuggets here that you can't use the auto cruise mindset of a car and all terrains in business. You have to wash the terrain and, and use it uh, like a stick shift for your vehicle, which is your business here, to navigate it and be successful. 
and, and and if you have once created the competitive advantage like what we had in the past it could be sustainable competitive advantage those times are gone um, and then some of the pieces if you look at the the new companies which have come in the startups and they they, they create their own market they have created so much of obsolescence that they obsolete their product as fast as they can so they are creating their own markets they are not waiting for market to appear for them or growth in the market they are not trying to sustain the competitive advantage they had yesterday they are reinventing every day so that they, they have a, a bigger and better market so Alan uh, we are almost at the end of this segment we will take a short break and we will continue our discussion in the next segment Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back. You're listening to The Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Mr. Alan Adamson, an accomplished author uh, with his recent book, Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World, and a, an expert in building brands and CEO of Brand Simple Consulting. And we are having uh, amazing discussions today on how uh, to keep your business relevant in a fast-changing world and a very, very disruptive environment. Alan, I, I want to move next to in this last session on the role of leadership. How important is the role of leader? Because, you know, the leaders face the dilemma when to start the change and how much change they should drive and at what pace. Nowadays, businesses are moving towards digitization. Now, the challenge is what and how to do. Go all out, say, for example, and get it done which may disrupt the business or go gradually in pieces, which delays the whole process 
and the organization sees extra work of doing digitization as well as to run the regular business. A case in point could be what was happening in GE. They wanted to become a digital company. So I just want your uh, uh, inputs on the role of leader. Not surprisingly, uh, this is a uh, big factor in separating the winners from companies that companies that were able to shift ahead from those that are uh, perhaps stuck in the mud. It was it was leadership uh, and having a leader that you know first off uh, embraced change, you know, was comfortable with change. Um, the uh, the notion that that they didn't come into the office every day trying to execute. Exactly what was in front of them. They 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 realized that change is part of the success of the culture. They tended to have something I you know we call a perceptual vision. You know their ability to think laterally to see what's around them, not just look at how people are uh, renting cars or how people are taking pictures. They they zoomed out. They didn't suffer from the classic uh, marketing myopia or myopia phrase. Many many companies, uh, despite their best efforts. Uh, look at the world uh, too tightly and, and don't think perceptually. Uh, another key characteristic um, was to trust your instincts because you know often when you set out set off on a new course, the, the data is inconclusive. Consumers are unsure, your employees are unsure, and if you're not um, going to be somewhat confident and this is the right direction. You're never going to get the organization. You, you end up doing what many, many companies do, which is we'll explore this, we'll have a committee review this, we'll have a team do this. And, you know, one of the other things that ties to success was this notion of uh, the need to execute brilliantly, no matter what you do. And if you're doing five things, uh, you tend to, we had a great conversation with the uh, New York Times columnist and author Tom Friedman, a couple of them. And, you know, Tom, Tom talks about uh, averages over. That you know, so many people go through the boxes of just you know, saying we did this, we did this. You know, checking the boxes. So we've got three teams: one studying uh, price competition, and one studying high end. And you know, there is this hedging mentality, and it's going to limit your ability to execute brilliantly because often to execute brilliantly, you need unbelievable focus. And no matter what you're doing, you're better off executing one thing brilliantly than three things averagely. And so, a leader that can Make a big bet, not make four small bets and study it. Tended to be associated with companies that shifted ahead better. Uh, the, the firm that made five bets and monitored them a lot ended up, um, you know, probably having the right answer, but probably having it uh, significantly too late. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, you know, even a simple story, we had a, a conversation with the, uh, um, uh, CEO of um, the Central Park Conservancy, and you know, I asked him, "How did you turn Central Park around?" And he said, "Well, it wasn't a strategy. You know, he said, I, you know, we knew it was about execution, and I needed to make sure everyone who worked for the, in the park really did a good job. And ultimately, he said, it was this really simple idea. He said, I'm going to break the park up into I forget how many, 45 little backyards, uh -huh. and I'm going to put somebody in charge of each backyard. So when I when I go jogging in the morning, and I live in New York City near Central Park, and I go into the park." I know Sarah, who, who who drives a cart, and she's in charge of taking care of the plants, water in the grass, picking up the garbage. She knows who I am. You know, I, I feel guilty if I, you know, 
don't pick up after my dog because I know Sarah and this is her backyard. Now, you know, before I didn't know who was in charge of trash and who was in charge of plants and who was, but by making, you know, it goes back to another famous Tom Friedman quote, no one washes a rental car. <laughs> you know, right. So you know, by bringing accountability, they were able to execute brilliantly. And I think a big part of uh, successful shifting ahead is, yes, we need the right strategy, um, but you need to focus on a few things and execute brilliantly. We had lots of conversations with the CEO of, uh, uh, of Sony, and Sony is going through a big transition, but one of the things he did as he began to try to shift Sony ahead four years ago or whenever, he decided he had to focus. He was making, Sony had put its name on too many products. It was Sony clock radios and Sony shower radios and Sony, you know, and, you know, Sony had strayed away from what used to make Sony magical, that you would get, uh, as he described, goosebumps when you saw and felt and experienced a Sony product. So the first thing, you know, one of the things he did was, we need to focus this company and they got out of a whole bunch of things and focused on on products that they could go back to the original founder's purpose of giving people goosebumps. And so that ability to to the jury's still out if he, if he is going to be successful and the team there and turning Sony around. But the notion of uh, that leadership going back to the f- purpose in Sony's case was you know giving co- uh, consumers goosebumps, focusing the line, and then driving to execution. And making sure they do that is again the recipe for shifting ahead. Um, most people know it. It's you know everyone knows the theory. Uh, what separated lots of the winners from lots of the people that almost won <laughs> was yeah. how well they executed. Exactly. So the the focus and the brilliance in in executing it. So now if you're changing the organization, you're driving the change. So that uh, that focus and execution of that change becomes very very important. Exactly, because at the end of the day, um, yeah, as you, you, every, you and your listeners know, is you, know, you don't have to be first, you just have to be best. Correct. That, that's a great point. If you're not the first, um, but you're the best, you're successful. Right. So that's a great point, uh, and, and uh, we're almost coming to end of our program. So first of all, I, I thank you. Uh, for such a brilliant interaction. You provided a lot of value in the program today and um, what you what you told us today that how you can be relevant to your customer. So the focus should be be relevant to your customer and if they want to change, you better change and don't be arrogant and don't get stuck. You know, and uh, exactly. and don't, don't uh, even if you know how to, if you need to change, don't get uh, stuck into um, analysis to paralysis and in the process empty your pockets so you can't do anything. Because you have to be able to see and to seize. If you see it and don't seize it, yeah. you lose. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, all, all the large companies who lost out had opportunities and current companies have opportunities in front of them. What they need to do is to make a call. They did not make a call. That was the only problem. Yeah, you know, exactly. and, and when you want to change, uh, there is a risk involved. And most of the people, they want the risk out. There's no risk, and it doesn't happen. Right. Change you know. doesn't happen without risk, and yeah. most big companies are set up to eliminate risk. Yes. And especially you have to do it in current environment where uh, you made a brilliant point. There are no more sustainable competitive advantages. You're losing those very quickly, so you have to keep building uh, those. And finally, um, 
the once you've decided what you want to do and how you want to do it, um, focus on execution and execute it brilliantly to be the best in the marketplace. So, Alan, thank you so much. It was phenomenal discussing with you this uh, interesting subject. A lot of knowledge, a lot of good points. Thank you, Mayash. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I look forward to hearing your show in the future. Thank you.